It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. In this episode, we focus on the election of a new Labour leader with Brexit now Firmly embedded in the fabric of UK politics, a new Labour leader is uh, worth considering. But of course, Keir Starmer has been Labour's Brexit spokesman for the last few years, so there's an extra connection there. My guests were Lucy Powell, MP for Manchester Central, former Chief of Staff to Ed Miliband when he was Labour leader, and one of the party's election supremos in the 2015 general election. And when we spoke on Friday, she'd just been appointed to Labour's shadow team. She's now uh, teaming up with her old boss, Ed Miliband, in Labour's shadow business team, where she is shadow minister for consumers and business. And from the UK to changing Europe, Deputy Director Tim Bale joined the call again and it's he who kicks things off talking about the impact of Keir Starmer's victory on politics. If we think about you know what it means for politics more generally I suppose it depends on who you're looking at doesn't it I mean for many uh, people in the Labour Party. I think Keir Starmer's election must feel a little bit like waking up from a bad dream and realising that you haven't actually died, uh, even though you might have had a, a near-death experience, as it were. You know, they feel, I think, that they've got their party back and they, they have a chance now. Um, if you're a Corbynista, clearly then, you know, to, to use the same analogy, the dreams died, I think. I mean, I think some of them will stick around certainly on the back benches to kind of keep the flame alive, um, you know, and there will be perhaps some people who stick around in a group like Momentum hoping to do the same. But uh, it, it, I get the sense, actually, that it's going to be quite difficult for them to do that. And then if you turn to the Conservatives, I mean, uh, I mean, it, it does mean that I think since, you know, around 2012, which was sort of Ed Miliband's high point, um, you know, they're, they're at last faced with an opposition that they actually have to worry about uh, seriously. And that hasn't uh, happened to them for quite some time. And then relatedly uh, for the electorate, I mean, it, it means that, you know, at long last as a Labour Party that looks like it might be a halfway convincing government in waiting if they get tired of the current lot. And given that we live in a, you know, an essentially two party system, then that has to be a good thing for democracy and, and, a, and a good thing for good government. And, and Lucy, are you going to let that 2012 was Ed Miliband's high point just slip by? I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Well, no, look, I mean, I think um, you're know, obviously one of the big, big things I've been doing for the last um, few months, which, which was also we were going to publish at the, at the weekend, just ahead of uh, of the new leader being um, announced, was a this this big commission that we launched on the election. Um, the long-term trends that led to it, what are the lessons for Labour going forward. It's been an absolutely huge piece of work um, that we've we've undertaken and we're very, very nearly there with, with it with it now. Um, and, you know, that, that's been so insightful. I mean, we cannot underestimate, like, what an, a massive electoral challenge this is for Labour. And I think what I worry about, actually, um, more than anything, is the idea that, OK... For some, uh, for some in the Labour Party, for some in politics, for some in the media, it's like, oh, right, well, we've got someone who's kind of now the leader of the Labour Party who's 
um, you know, not as uh, out there on some things, I guess, or, or perhaps looks more like a conventional politician, et cetera, et cetera, that somehow that means, you know, we've got this fair wind behind us, as you, as you say, and that, you know, it will, <clears throat> it will, it's all there for the taking. I mean, I think that would be a massive mistake for us to make. I mean, we, we've got a long, long way to go with, um, with, with big parts of the electorate that had traditionally voted Labour in in the past, uh, who um, who are not who are not minded to vote Labour in the future, even with a new leader, because they're quite happy with Boris, and over time they've changed um, and all of that kind of thing. So uh, I think uh, the the one bit of advice I've been trying to um, offer to Keir, which I think he really gets actually, is you know being an effective opposition is necessary but it's far 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 from sufficient yeah and if anyone if anyone wants to see the scale of the challenge i mean um to to promote uk and a changing europe here for a moment i mean we have a, a blog post out by uh alan wager uh this week uh, actually which looks at um you know the challenge that the labor party faces and and lucy's absolutely right i mean as it makes very clear it's got some great visuals on it by the way as well you know i mean labor to win a working majority of one needs a swing of 9.9 percent i mean you know we're talking kind of atley uh, or blair style um swings really for that to happen now uh, it also points out uh, and again, I'm sure this is something that I don't really need to tell Lucy, but it is worth pointing out that the seats that Labour needs to win back are very, very um, different from each other. You know, it's a, a very uh, heterogeneous set of seats that it needs to win. You know, it's not just those red wall seats. It's, um, you know, all sorts of other um, quite different places. Uh, and it's going to be quite hard, I think, to sort of knit together a narrative that, that appeals to, you know, very, very different um, sets of people in very different places. But of course, that's always what oppositions have to do, I guess. Yeah. And you've got Scotland in there. Um, you've got parts of the south of England. You've got the red, you know, the, the so-called red wall. You've got seats that we held very recently that have now got thumping great Tory majority so yeah I mean that national swing is um is difficult enough in any historic context but I think when you look at how that spread and where that spread across the country in terms of seats um you know it's an even is an even bigger task really so I, I really worry greatly about everyone just sort of puffing out a kind of sigh of relief and thinking all right well now it's sort of politics back to normal so it's fine we'll just sort of one more heave of the old show on the road and um and we'll and, and we'll, you know, we'll 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 be fine i mean there's you know we, we we could actually have further to fall do you know what i mean and it's certainly very tough to start um making some inroads and unless we start winning significant sort of seats in scotland for example that makes the task in england even greater um and 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 you know there's there's no there's no evidence to suggest that uh that 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 simply changing leader is going to sort all this out i mean of course jeremy and the leadership kind of issue was a big factor in in the election in in 2019 but it was a it was a factor that that catalyzed a lot of long-term um trends and it's a, it was a factor that was interconnected to a Labour Party that's become um, unconnected from from parts of the country and and you know has a certain kind of value set that's that's not representative 
of enough of Britain anymore. Yeah, I mean, okay, so as you say, it's a huge challenge. And there's a, a concern about thinking it's business as usual. It is quite clearly, you only have to look out the window to see that this is not business as usual in any sense in the country at the moment. And that, I wonder how that begins to feed into to what Labour does going forward under Keir Starmer. Because perhaps the first thing that we've had that has not been business as usual over the last few years, of course, is Brexit. Now, Keir is regarded as a massive Remainer. Um, doesn't that already handicap him when it comes to certainly winning back the Red Wall? Uh, no, I'm not sure that it does, because I'm not sure that... I mean, look, I think what people really want to see uh, to see on those key issues, and I think one of the challenges for, for Labour in 2019 and, and sort of going into that was a sense that there was a kind of equivocation and there wasn't you know we were fence sitting and there was fudge going on on some of these big central um issues i think i've had long chats with keir about about some of this and i think he absolutely sort of gets gets it really in terms of what he personally needs to do what that challenge is for him personally i mean he was the shadow brexit minister for the opposition party you know at, at, at all this time of um of brexit uncertainty so uh, and I think he showed leadership through that. Now, um, what was the kind of nuance of that, you know, right or wrong in relation to, to some to some voters? I'm not sure that's the issue. I mean, what, what we found, because we've, we've done some work on trying to understand how might we re rebuild or, or build a new a voter coalition that could um, could take Labour forward. That's been part of what we've been doing with this commission. And actually... You know, Keir fares very strongly in that because people see him as somebody of, of, of what what people want is someone of strong leadership. Um, now that leadership, of course, gets tested, um, and that's that's when you really see the true signs of that leadership. And I think that's the sort of things that that the public will will look for. Um, and if that leadership gets tested in a way that they don't agree with, then it kind of shatters the whole notion of strong leadership. So I think Keir is very keen to 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 really pay great attention to and sort of immerse himself, if you like, in the um, in the, in the hopes and fears and the and the concerns of uh, the sorts of voters that we that we need to to win back. So that that's going to be a process that he'll he'll lead. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I'm not sure that you know, remain leave. Uh, and, and that divide is going to be quite as significant as some people thought it might be by, by 2024. I, I think we have moved on and partly accelerated by COVID-19. I mean, that's not to say that Labour doesn't face the mammoth task because, you know, as Lucy says, it, it, it does. But I, I'm just not sure that Keir's personal position on a second referendum over the last few years is going to be much of an issue. Uh, by then. I mean, I think we're going to be talking more by then about the state of the country, you know, particularly the economy and, and public services. And, and those, of course, will be affected by Brexit as well as by COVID-19. Um, but that said, I mean, clearly some of the cultural conflicts, and I think Lucy's, you know, touched on those, particularly around migration, multiculturalism and that kind of thing, you know, will still be bubbling under, uh, you know, hopefully not bubbling over. So it won't necessarily just be the economy stupid. Um, it, it rarely is these days. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that, you know, what Labour did on Brexit between 2016 uh, and 2019 is actually going to be top of head for most voters in, in four those, years time. Aren't those issues that you talk about, like like immigration and, the, the you know, the sort of social conservatism, if you want to call it that, and you'll know better than me, Tim, I'm sort of 
um, trying to remind myself of John Curtis's various graphs that he presented over at UK to Changing Europe uh, events for the last few years. But surely those characteristics are tied up in whether you are remain or leave and come 2024. And I know that seems a very long way away at the moment. Won't the Tories just go, oh, look, there's Keir Starmer. He's a massive remainer all around the red wall state, uh, states. The red well, wall- I mean, it partly against it. it depends on whether you think that remain and leave were the drivers or whether you think they were to some extent symptoms, if you like, of a, of a, a more profound, you know, cultural um alienation from the Labour Party that um, Lucy's touched on. And I tend to think of them more as, as symptoms rather than causes, if you like. I mean, I take your point, but I, I think, um, you know, there there are, as it were, divides between voters, you know, based on education, uh, for example, based on age, um, that were there anyway, were latent, and if you like, were mobilised by um, uh, Brexit and, and fed into those leave and remain identities. Um, but I'm not sure that leave and remain will be the framing, if you like, for those identities going forward and those those differences going forward. I, I, I completely agree with you there, um, Tim, and I think it is it, it, yeah, some of those things are symptoms and symbols, aren't they? I mean, I think the challenge may may or may not be, and we just don't know this yet. We, you know, will be around how some of those symptoms and symbols are tested in the coming uh, two or three or four uh, years, and you know, obviously immigration is potentially one of those areas, isn't it? Um, and one of the things that coming out of coronavirus, for example, could be. Um, uh, you know, as we've seen, shutting down of borders, even within the EU, who did it before, you know, they've shut down their borders more than we have, and, and we, we're not in it anymore. So, you know, the, the total sort of free movement of people may become a, uh, you know, a, a bigger issue going forward. Obviously, in a post-Brexit sort of Britain, you know, what our immigration policy is or isn't will will become an issue. And, and sort of how Labour responds to some of that um I think would be of more interest to a lot of the voters that that we're talking about. But and I think I think what they want to see um, is that we sort of understand and get them and get some of their sort of concerns around some of those types of issues. But it it may be a different it may be a different symbol in two or three years time. Who Mm. who knows? And I think so it would be less of it would be less of an issue about whether. Keir himself was a Lever or a Remainer. I think it's more how sensitive uh, the Labour Party can be strategically going forward to understand where where we do and where we don't have to try and meet the voters some way. I think we can't talk about listening and understanding why we've lost without then enacting some of that listening and understanding to being change. And I think that is the that is the real strategic challenge for Labour. So is that the, the key to actually what perhaps has changed with um, Keir taking over as Labour Party leader? And this is not a criticism of Jeremy Corbyn. I am, of course, entirely impartial. Um, but he was not particularly nimble, I would think it's fair to say, either you know in terms of policy or intellectually, whereas Keir Starman perhaps brings a bit more, not flexibility, but... Um, Agility. Yeah, he's not tied down by historic positions that he's taken and things. Well, let's see. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't actually know. I mean, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I, I really hope so, and I think he's, you know, I've always found Keir to be an incredibly 
receptive sort of reflective politician who's um yeah who's not kind of uh fixated or 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 immovable at all I think he's far from it um but you know we'll we'll have to see I mean to look to be fair to Jeremy I think I think Jeremy one of the reasons Jeremy ended up in in a position of sort of looking like he was neutral and and not wanting to take a position on Brexit was because this Brexit conundrum in relation to Labour's long-standing voter coalition was an incredibly difficult one um uh, nudge slightly one way or nudge yeah. the other way and you know it, it was fracturing and breaking up our, our voter coalition that had uh had had it, it was what the Labour Party had been about for, for for decades and I think he really he really worried about that and he he, he kind of got that now you could argue that he his leadership his leadership skills uh failed to kind of navigate a way through that and lead that but I think intuitively actually he, he got it more more than most and he was criticized for it so I, I you know I, I think you know, I think we need to be a little bit fairer to him sometimes on some of those issues um is, is Brexit over Tim did, did Brexit, Brexit didn't end on the 31st of January. Did it end on the 4th of April with the election of Keir Starmer and that actually COVID has drawn a line under Brexit and the election of Keir Starmer is a sort of little squiggle on the end of that, nice flourish on the end of that line. And that's Brexit um, done as an issue in British politics. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you do make a good point. We do have to remind ourselves um, that we have actually left the European Union and there's unlikely to be any going back. I mean, not for a long time anyway, and, and probably not ever, to be honest. And I think Keir Starmer has made it clear and certainly made it clear during the leadership contest that it's now really a case of, you know, getting the best deal we can and getting on with life outside the EU. Um, so, you know, I, I think there is an extent to which he has uh, and we have drawn a line uh, under that. Now, clearly, you know, we've got the um, question of the, you know, free trade agreement with um, the EU and the negotiation of that um, coming up imminently. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, as we were talking uh, about earlier, I, I don't think Brexit in and of itself is going to play as much of a role clearly as it has done over the last three years. Although the ramifications of Brexit, the implications for the economy um, and for immigration, as Lucy was was pointing out, you know, they are still going to be there. We're not going to be able to avoid to some extent a conversation about whether it, you know, has been a good idea uh, and whether it's working. I think that is going to be unavoidable. But the the trick will be, I think, to be able to talk about that without giving the impression, you know, that the whole thing has been a total and utter disaster and Labour wishes it could wind the clock back because that, as Lucy has hinted, I think would be a bit of a disaster. And I think I think that's where you've seen Kia being that reflective and sort of nimble, as you, as you describe, or, or certainly someone that's able to uh, understand and uh listen and then act which you know straight out of the the blocks uh after the general election and the first thing that he talked about when he was talking about standing for leader of the Labour Party was that we you know Brexit's done now uh, you know that that election kind of really did mark a kind of end to some of that um wrangling and and conversation that we've that we've been having um for a few years so you know, I think that that gives a sense that he, this is somebody who does have, you know, does care what the electorate are telling us and wants to go some way to responding to that. And I think that that gives that, sh that gives me a great deal of sort of hope going forward. 
How do you feel about Brexit now, Tim? I mean, I've been doing this podcast for, you know, whatever. I can't even remember. Two and a half, three years. I don't know how long. Um, you, We all at UK to Change in Europe have been thinking about all the aspects of Brexit. And then a pandemic comes along. And suddenly the last three years look... <laughs> smaller than they did when we were sitting in the middle of it don't they well i i take i take your point there although as i said because of the necessity of uh, negotiating a trade deal with the european union it, it is still um to some extent a live issue uh, it is ticking away there um and you know it isn't something that we we should forget about. Um, and actually, of course, the two things are to some extent related in the sense that many people would argue that you can't be uh, trying to negotiate uh, a trade deal with the European Union at the same time as trying to deal with this enormous crisis, and that therefore, you know, the transition should actually be uh, extended. And that's a decision that, if we stick to the the rules anyway, we should be making by the end of June. Yeah, I mean, come on this is getting silly this talk of getting a deal by the end of the year given where we are in terms of the coronavirus come on yeah i mean it strikes me as you know somewhere between i don't know remote and unlikely but um you know you can't rule you know us coming out um of transition at the end of the year completely i mean the government still claims that you know transition won't be extended despite the fact that you know a german diplomat uh, in a leaked letter that got released um, a few days ago, described that idea as a fantasy land. I mean, personally, I just don't see how either side's got sufficient capacity, bandwidth, and and even, as he pointed out, secure video conferencing facilities to actually do it. Um, but of course, if you're a Brexiteer who doesn't want to deal, and a lot of them don't want to deal, then actually sticking to the current timetable and failing to do one actually produces the outcome you want. Um, having said that, if you look at polling, and there was some very interesting polling done on this um, last week by JL Partners, it's in the Daily Mirror if anyone wants to look at it, um, it does look as though the government has got the electorate's permission to extend transition. Two thirds of um, voters that they questioned said they would be willing to see an extension because of COVID-19. Now, admittedly, uh, a quarter said they only wanted to extend for a year or less, but that still leaves a lot of people who would be prepared on practical grounds to see mm. this uh, this transition extended. There is, however, a difference between remainers and leavers. Uh, and, it, and if you look at leavers, uh, then, you know, as I've shown a piece I've done for the FT, actually, they do come up with a whole series of more or less credible arguments as to why extending transition would be a really bad idea. Uh, and one of the most persuasive for them anyway, being that they suspect that it's a Remainer plot to try and stymie Brexit altogether. Everything's a Remainer plot to, to a certain <laughs> strand of Lever. Not all Levers by any stretch, I would suggest, but a, a certain strand. I mean, Lucy, as I say, I mean, it just seems silly, frankly, to suggest that we can just carry on with the, the Brexit negotiations as normal. Does it not speak to a government that perhaps is more driven by ideology than, than good sense? No, I mean, look, I think, I think to be honest, it's the last thing on most people's minds. And I think, you know, it, it really isn't, isn't a, a debate for now anyway, to be honest. I mean, yeah, clearly there's going to be a massive sort of capacity bandwidth uh, issue uh, there with it. But I think sort of steering off a whole arm of government to kind of deal with the consequences of saying that right now, both politically legally um you know uh, administratively and everything would w wouldn't be a wise thing to do i think you know that that that's for another another moment and it, you know yeah i think of course 
you know, the capacity to do that. The issue, you know, one of the issues was was writing the date in the legislation, which um, was probably was probably unnecessary. But I think coming out of this, I mean, let's sort of see 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 where we are. That obviously, what the whole coronavirus epidemic has, has shown is is the um, the interconnected nature of 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 the of the global economy and and the need to have those strong relationships. So, I think maybe that will make some of the these kind of negotiations uh, a little bit easier, um, you know, on on all sides, not just in relation to Brexit, but other other types of um, alliances and trade deals and things like that. Because, you know, if if one country needs needs supplies, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to get them to to the other country and things. So I think you know this is this has changed the kind of global order of a lot of things. Um, but I think that I, I actually wouldn't um, at the moment uh, be be calling on the on on the government to set aside, a, a, you know, an arm of government to to kind of even focus on this issue right now. Hi, Arnon here. Sorry to butt in, but I just wanted to say, if you like this podcast, which I'm sure you do, then please rate it wherever you get your podcasts from. You'll be doing a public service because it makes it easier for others to find us. While you're at it, go to our website, www.ukandeu.ac.uk and sign up for our fantastic newsletter every two weeks, free in your inbox. Do it now. Okay, um, we've been plugging uh, various reports and things. Well, I'm going to plug my uh, column for the Press and Journal this week, which was about Keir Starmer's reshuffle. And uh, you got your call up yesterday, Lucy. You are uh, what? Basically, shadow minister for Watchdog. Is that is that basically your job? Well, a business as well. So business okay. consumers. So um, you know, it's a big it's a big job to do in this current uh, yeah. context, uh, really. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of delighted to help with that. I've got obviously got thousands of businesses in my own constituency as well. So um, that's, you know, my my inbox, like everybody else's, has, has gone through the roof of, of with businesses, small and large, getting in touch with mm. with MPs. So I think, you know, in in where, where we are at the moment, it's, it's probably one of the, the sort of biggest jobs on the on the front mm. bench and happy to be back working with ed although i have been working with ed the last few months on this election review um so so that'll be good as well obviously i've got an interest in this because i did write a book on the miller band years but i mean i i do think that it's very important that labor does actually look at the years between um 2010 and, and 2015 rather than kind of airbrush them out of history because there you know were things that were were done right i think by the labor party at that time and there were some things that were were done wrong and it, it you know it's very important that they look back at that period because in some senses that was the the last period in which they stood a chance i think as as an opposition of of gaining government so you know not not writing that out of history i think is extremely uh important well, and, you know, and I, i'm a great believer you you know you learn a lot more you gain a lot more insight and you learn a lot more from kind of doing things uh wrong or making mistakes or, or not getting them right than you do um that, than you do otherwise so this idea that ed or me as somebody that was you know very involved at the beginning of ed's uh, leadership and then again at the end with the elections job that i did you know, he he and I, you know, we we we've kind of been there, got the t-shirt, and know what it feels like when you're finding yourself uh, heading towards a general election, and you know that on 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 one or two sort of key issues, you're in a strategically weak position, and that is not a nice um, that is not a nice thing to to know. And 
um, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And but but it was also an era, a completely different era. I mean, we'd only just come out of government. It was very much sort of in the aftermath of the, of the crash, and you know, Labour getting blamed for that and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't really have much time for those who who uh, want to slag Ed off and say that he's got nothing to contribute because he's got he, he really does have a, a great deal to contribute. And I think he would be more than anybody. He would be the person that would be most willing um, care not to say make some of the same mistakes that that he did. Yeah, and I, I mean one um, I think very good precedent in some senses for that is is William Hague, you know, because he had a very very difficult time as Conservative leader, but yet was actually extremely important to David Cameron. Um, you know, once David Cameron became leader. Uh, and and of course, you know, as a as a minister in David Cameron's um, government, so you know, we, we absolutely shouldn't write off the experience of people who've had a you know perhaps a more difficult time in politics earlier on. And nothing, and nothing. I mean, I always try and say to people, it's, it's, it's quite hard to sort of explain. I mean, literally nothing in life that you've ever done before can possibly prepare you for being leader of the Labour Party and leader of the opposition. And um, you you know your in this swirling world of million different decisions every day, um, putting out fires all over the show all the time. Some people only want you to focus on parliament or being an effective opposition. You've got the media kind of hauling you through um, all your history and everything. You've got disciplinary matters, also a hundred million one things to do and to, uh, and to try and rise above that and be strategic and be a leader um, and know how to actually do that when you've never done it before is is almost nigh on impossible. So I think to have someone around who can help you with that, and of course Ed and Keir are, are you know are, are good mates as well. So I, I think it's a um, I, I, I was really pleased that that Kia um, brought Ed back in in that way because I think as a new leader the easiest thing is often to think, well, I don't want to sort of live in the shadow of a previous leader, so I'm not going to have them around. But it takes a much stronger leader, a much stronger person to think, no, I'm the leader now, but I, I could really do with this guy in my team to sort of help me navigate some of the ways. Lucy, have you seen Keir Starmer eating a bacon sandwich? No. Oh, so ooh, that could still come up then, the whole... I mean, honestly, I mean... Issue could still you, come up. I mean, those things now just seem so... I mean, they were at the time, like utterly sort of petty, weren't they? But I mean, in the in the sort of post Brexit, post Corona or mid coronavirus sort of world, I mean, who absolutely gives a flying whatever? You know what I mean? Um, really about these things anymore? But they 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 a moment in time. I mean, that's what I say. It's a completely different era, really. That yeah. that that would be that that would even be a thing as it was then. Now just just feels. Um, really quite pathetic, doesn't it? In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Right, let's finish with the feature, the feature which is still going, even though we've just discussed whether Brexit is in fact over, we're still going to continue with this feature for the next, whatever we've got left, five episodes. Um, what would you recommend to understand Brexit? Who wants to go first? Lucy, what would you recommend? I think we're probably just sort of entering the, the era where there'll be sort of uh, a bit more kind of perspective and history written on that to be honest um so i know my friend uh professor rob ford has got a book coming out soon so i think um which about some of the politics of brexit i think that will be um a good thing to read but i don't think there's anything that from the vantage point that we're in now 
yeah. there's anything that gives you that that full perspective. I think there are lots of things written during the time. I, I'm I'm not sure really. I mean, I always found the Brexit cast good, and a lot of the podcasts and the, the work you guys do is great. Um, but they they were kind of Brexit in that context at that point in time, and I think that that context has changed so much. Yeah, everything's changed, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's a slight problem with, yeah. with all this, that we don't know where, where, what we're, where we are right now or where we're going to be in a few weeks' time. But we'll still carry on with this feature no matter what. Tim, <laughs> Tim have you got another recommendation for me? Well, I'd echo um, Lucy's actually Brexit Land by um, Rob uh, Ford and Maria Sogoleska is a really good book. I've I've had the chance to read it uh, already, and and you know it, it's it's excellent and does give quite a perspective uh, on um, you know the public opinion side of, of things in particular. Um, I mean, I guess I'm someone who is a little bit more obsessed with this um, transition and and you know the need or not to uh, extend it. Uh, so you know you you sometimes say is there a, is there not a book but a film uh, that you can recommend um i'd recommend people looking at you know all those films where someone has to diffuse a bomb with uh you know very little time uh you know ticking on the clock um something like goldfinger or the hurt locker uh, because i think boris johnson is going to have to uh, extend the transition i suspect uh, and it's well, they never how they never do that in the film. <laughs> but that's, but that's the wrong analogy. In the, those films, it's uh, like the last second, it's all sorted. Well, well, all sorted or, the, you know, actually sorting it is asking for an extension without actually blowing up the Tory party. So I, I, I think that that might be a good analogy. Are you saying Boris Johnson's Goldfinger and Michael Gove's odd job? Is that what you're saying here? <laughs> no, is that what... no, 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 no. I'm saying Boris Johnson is James <laughs> Bond. Okay, so that would make my Michelle Barnier would be Goldfinger. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) So, who is the Goldfinger of Brexit? Do hit me up on Twitter with your James Bond slash Brexit analogies and crossovers. There may be fun to be had there. Let's face it, we're all looking for things to do at the moment. I am at Political Yeti on Twitter if you want to get in touch with me. And if you want to contact the UK for Changing Europe, they are at UK and EU on Twitter. And their email is UK and EU at kcl.ac.uk. Uh, or visit their website, uh, which is uh, UK and EU, uh, you know, www, all that sort of stuff. Uh, on their website, there is, uh, well, there's loads of good content, but particularly a new blog by Dr. Alan Wager on the Labour leadership and, and what it all might mean. Uh, they're also focusing uh, a lot on COVID in the current climate. This has been uh, the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Uh, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. The music has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra and I've been James Miller. Do stay safe and come back for another episode in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.